good to meet you. Well, we are in the third week of Advent. We're preparing ourselves for Christmas, the, the celebration of the coming King, um, which means that we're only two weeks away from Christmas. Can you believe that? It's kind of crazy. A um, sermon series that we've been kind of cruising through is called Among Us, A Christmas Story. Um, within this series, we kind of came at it from a little bit different um, place for Christmas, um, we're exploring the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Um, while all the other Gospels kind of start with Jesus' birth, except for Mark, who starts with Jesus being full-grown, um, Jesus or John, the Gospel of John actually starts way back at the beginning. Um, and when I say the beginning, the beginning, the beginning, right? Before anything else was formed. Um, to kind of catch us up in the first few verses of John, um, we see a retelling of the creation story, and it really echoes the creation story of Genesis. Um, but it starts even before the creation story in Genesis. It starts from the very, very beginning, right, the, even before creation. And who do we find at the beginning of that story? Uh, we find this entity called the Word, right? Look at the first couple of verses in John 1, starting with verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John starts off with this incredible being, the Word, who was with God and who was God. And, and what did the Word do? The Word created, the Word brought life. The word brought light, um, light that the darkness couldn't overcome. In fact, the light continues to shine in the darkness. The Greek word for this verb shines in verse 5 um, emphasizes a continuous action. So um, this light just keeps shining and shining and shining, and you just can't extinguish it. That's what this light is about. Now, who is this word? Well, if you skip ahead to verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who does John say the Word is? Jesus, right? Jesus Himself. Um, so Jesus is not just some good guy that came along. He is God, right? That's what Scripture tells us. He is the Creator. He brings life. He brings light into the world. And the darkness simply cannot overcome it. Can't do it. Christmas isn't just celebrating some important person being born. It's actually all about the arrival of none other than God in the flesh. I mean, think about that. That's a huge kind of epic view of Christmas, right? And we talked about in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling, it's the Greek word skinu, and it literally is the verb form of the word tabernacle that, they, that we see in the Old Testament, right? So John's alluding to the, the tabernacle. He's alluding to the tent of meeting in the Old Testament, that, that place where the very presence of God um, came to be on earth. 
This is Jesus. Jesus fulfills the tabernacle, right? With one huge difference. Where with the Old Testament tabernacle, no one could really go into the presence except for Moses and his sidekick Joshua. And it really was kind of a limited version of the presence of God. Humans are now able to see and even touch the glory of God in Jesus, the very presence of God, God with flesh on. Humans see God face to face. And it's a crazy thought. They saw God, right? As Isaiah foretold about him, he was to be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. What an amazing gift of God. What an amazing Christmas gift. In fact, Jesus is one of those gifts that you get at Christmas time. You open up the box, and there's just all sorts of different gifts in there, right? That you start kind of rummaging through and opening other presents. Um, what other kind of gifts do we see? Back to verse 14, in that, that first week, we talked about grace. We talked about the glory of Jesus that was full of grace and truth. Keep reading in that passage. Keep, verse 16, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came to Jesus Christ. I mean, what an amazing gift Jesus is. And as the grace of God, that's who he is, right? As the grace of God, Jesus came to restore access to the dwelling place of God, right? The tabernacle. He is the tabernacle, not the access that Moses had, but the access that we had from the very beginning, back in the garden. That's what Jesus is after. You see what the heart of God is like? I mean, even though we were rebellious human beings, Jesus came to die and remove that barrier so that we could actually interact with him. He came so that we could know God. God desires for his dwelling place to be among the humans, right? That's what Christmas is all about. Think about that. That's the Christmas story. That's the gospel story. And further into the gift of Jesus, Pastor Nathan last week clearly presented to us some other gifts that come with Jesus, right? Adoption, forgiveness. Listen to verse 9. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, <laughs> that's a big yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. Wow. Right? What an amazing gift that Jesus is. And Nathan, Nathan talked to us about that. God wants to adopt us. He wants us. Doesn't that feel good for the soul? He wants us to make us heirs in this amazing inheritance as the people of God. If we would just agree to the adoption. That's what he's waiting for. He, we just have to sign the adoption papers, right? Will we receive him? That's the question. And similar to an infomercial guy who says, but wait, there's more. We're not done yet, right? There's more to this story. Today, as we finish this series and we near that day of Christmas itself, we're going to look at the greatness of Christ again. We're going to look at the greatest gift of Christmas again. 
What's contained in that gift? Now, to get us thinking, last week Nathan um, referred to the holiday movie Elf, and he asked how many of you have seen it. Did you guys go out and see it last week if you hadn't seen it yet? Maybe, maybe not, right? Well, if you haven't seen the movie, Will Ferrell plays a human named Buddy, and he's raised by elves at the North Pole. Eventually, Buddy goes to New York. He's looking for his human father. And as a human raised by elves, he has this deep, deep affection and this loyalty for the man, right? Who's the man? Santa Claus, right? Santa Claus. And while Buddy's in New York, he's working at the Gimbel's Toys Department, right? He learns that Santa is going to be coming to his store the next day. And this is no small deal to Buddy, right? This is a huge, huge deal. Santa's coming. What does he do? He starts jumping around yelling, Santa's here? I know him. I know him. I know him. Is that what we do on Christmas Day? Hey, I know him. I know Jesus, right? What does Buddy have to do? He has to get ready for the arrival of Santa, right? And so what does he do? He stays up all night. He's decorating, putting all these elaborate decorations together, the most imaginative stuff you can come up with, right? And finally, the next morning, the time comes when Santa is to arrive, and he spots Santa, and he, along with all the other kids, he st- they all start screaming, Ah! Santa's here! Only he discovers, to his dismay, that it isn't really the real Santa, right? Not the real one. It's an imposter, just someone with, with Santa's clothes on, right? Someone simply dresses him. So what does Buddy do? He calls him out, right? You're an imposter. He's an imposter. He's a fake. As Santa is tackling him, you guys know the story, right? I mean, it's a fun story. But the reality is that Bud's, Buddy's actions are not so different from our own this time of year. You really think about it. How many of us go over the top in our decorations for Christmas? Just like Buddy, getting ready for the arrival, right? How many of us go over the top in our plans for family coming over and all the different food and all the shopping that takes place, all the different things going on, right? For many of us, we're filled with the same excitement of, as Buddy, right? For, what, for something that ends up being a stand-in, for the real thing. It happens, right? Now, when you think about stand-ins in Christmas, think about this. The great Saint Nick, the one we call Santa Claus, he was a Christ follower. Think about this for a moment. His great generosity for those in need that he's famous for, where did it come from? It came from him following Christ, right? Now, now, could you imagine what he must be feeling up in heaven every year as we approach this time of season? Honestly, what, what do you think he would be doing if he was here today and we were so crazily pointing to him as the main person of Christmas, right? What would he do? What would he be doing? He'd be pointing to Jesus. No, 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 don't look at me. This isn't about me. It's about him, Right? As the saying goes, he'd be rolling over in his grave if he was in a grave. We know he's not, but he, he, he wouldn't ever want to be the one standing in the place of Jesus. Honestly, right? 
That would be the opposite of what he was after. And this theme of pointing people to, to the true gift of Christmas, we actually see in the next part of, of John chapter 1. If you look with me at verse 19, there's a story of John the Baptist. Now, we all know John the Baptist, right? He's this weird guy that went out into the wilderness, and now he's calling out people, and he's baptizing people, uh, all in the name of what? Getting people ready for the arrival of the Messiah. What do the religious leaders do back in Jerusalem? Well, they, they hear about this crazy guy out in the wilderness, right? And they send a delegation to find out who in the world is this guy, right? And that's where this story starts. Verse 19, now this, this was John, John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. You hear that? <laughs> They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. So what's happening here? It seems like the priests and the Levites who have come to see who in the world this John the Baptist is, they're actually trying to make John the stand-in for who? The Messiah. For Jesus. Verse 22, finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned, sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, or the, the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. <laughs> John the Baptist is very clear about a few things, right? Number one is that he is not the Messiah. Could he make it, was it more, could he make it be more clear, right? He's not the prophet. He's not the Savior. That's not his job, right? And he was clear about what his job was, to make straight the way of the Lord. He knew the Messiah was coming, and it was his job to prepare the pathway so that the world would be ready to actually receive the Messiah when, they, when he got there, right? So his whole existence is summed up in, I'm here to help the world get ready for Jesus. That's it, right? That's what his job is. Now think about John at this point in his life. He's a famous guy, right? The whole conversation in the passage is predicated on the fact that people have heard about him. The authorities in Jerusalem, they have heard of him. Word has gotten out about them, about him, and they needed to know who he was. They, they considered John important, at least important enough to go figure out who this guy is, right? And yet John immediately points, <laughs> he points out that he's no one except a messenger of the Messiah, right? The one that matters is Jesus, that's what he's saying. John is not going to allow himself to be a stand-in for the Messiah. Going to make that clear, right? So his goal really is something that we need to think about as we enter into this Christmas season. As we prepare for Christmas, we've got to have that same tenacity, really, on keeping the focus on the one. The one. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? 
the capital O, one, Jesus. That's a big part of preparing our hearts for the arrival of the king, isn't it? I mean, there are so many distractions this time of year. Distractions that are all stand-ins for the real thing, right? Now, it seems that at this point, if you're following along in John chapter 1, that he moves into a very practical question for us. When it comes to the giving and receiving of gifts at Christmas time, and we've already talked about how Jesus is the greatest gift within that gift giving at Christmas time, how can we actually help someone receive the gift of Christ? That seems to be where John chapter 1 goes next. We already know that he's the greatest gift of all. How can we point others to Jesus? How can we point our kids? How can we point our neighbors? How can we point our, our friends, our coworkers to Jesus, right? Instead of some other thing that the season's about. And I think we could see the first step in showing someone Jesus right there, right in the story of John the Baptist. I mean, that is that we have to remember who we're pointing to. Who are we pointing to? <laughs> pointing to Jesus, right? I mean, there are, are other options. I think when we start talking to people about going to church and being a part of a fellowship and, and following Christ, I think sometimes we start talking about other things. For instance, we talked a few weeks ago about morality, <laughs> right versus wrong. We end up talking about um, ways of life. When all of those things are just a stand-in for the real thing, right? Yes, John the Baptist told them to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, that they were, whatever way they were going wasn't working. They needed to turn from their ways to follow God, right? But listen to this. He didn't tell them that the solution to their problem was to act right. He didn't tell them that the solution of their problem was to be more moral, he doesn't say that. It's, it's not about self-righteousness, right? We've been, we've been talking about this. The solution is the grace of God, <laughs> who is Jesus, right? He's the solution. And I think sometimes we forget that. We start talking to people and we start arguing about what's right and what's wrong and what, how they should live and who do they need in their life. There's a better way, and it's a person, Right? It's Jesus. Now, how can we make sure that we have the focus right when we're trying others, trying to help others receive the greatest gift? We ourselves, have, I think the starting point has to be we ourselves have to receive the greatest gift first, right? We ourselves have to repent. We ourselves have to turn from our ways to God to Jesus. And we see this in John the Baptist still, right? His belief is in the one who is coming. We just read about it. The one who straps on his sandals that he's not worthy to untie. That's who John the Baptist is talking about. He's the one that's more worthy than he. And, and there's, he's not any more worthy of the gift of Jesus than any of us. That's what John's talking about, right? That's the posture that we need to have as we're sharing with others about Jesus, right? In fact, keep reading. Verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him 
And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, he's pointing to Jesus, right? Him. He, he's the one that's, that we need. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So John the Baptist is the first to admit that Jesus is the gift. He's not the gift, right? Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which includes his sins, right? He's got firsthand experience. I need him too. Everyone needs him. That's what John's saying. That's the starting point of sharing the good news of Jesus with others, the greatest gift. The truth is, if we haven't experienced it, <laughs> we don't have much to share, right? And the other true part of this, I think, is we can't argue someone into believing in Jesus. You can't force someone to believe. You can't save someone through arguing, right? What can you do? <laughs> Again, John the Baptist offers us a great gift here in his example. What does he do? He points them to the one. <laughs> he points them to the greatest one, right? The greatest gift. That's his job, to prepare the pathway to Jesus. Get people thinking and moving towards this, this better way. And he needs to believe in the better way, right? He's also showing his own faith in Christ, not just through his words, but through his actions, right? He's my Savior too. I need him too. And we see another really good example of that in the very next part of chapter 1, verse 43. Jesus is beginning to call his disciples. He has an encounter with Philip. Verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. So Philip meets Jesus, and he starts following him, right? And he actually believes that Jesus is the one. But what else does Philip do in verse 45? Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nazareth? Can, anyone good, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Nathaniel asked. So we see some skepticism from Nathaniel. You ever had that experience before when you're talking to Jesus, about Jesus to others? Of course you have, right? But what does Philip respond with? Come and see. Come and see. When Philip first tells Nathaniel, he doesn't, he doesn't believe, Right? And again, that's not an unusual response. But Philip knows his role. He doesn't have to wrestle Nathaniel down to the ground and start giving him noogies until, until Nathaniel says, okay, I'll go. He doesn't, right? He points to Jesus. And he doesn't just point to Jesus. He actually physically takes Philip with him or takes Nathaniel with him. And not only that, he shows his own faith in Jesus, doesn't he? That's the, path, the part of the pathway in helping people get to Christ. Now, how do we take our kids, our neighbors, our friends to Jesus? It has to start through our own life of faith. Living our own life of faith in front of them by living as if Jesus actually is the greatest gift, right? 
by being willing to take others on the journey with us. In fact, Philip is so convinced that Jesus is the greatest gift that he knows that if he could just get Nathaniel to meeting the real thing, he's got to believe, right? Who, who does he leave the rest of it up to once he, he gets Nathaniel there? Listen to what happens in verse 47. It says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Wow, right? Doesn't that seem a little bit too easy? I mean, this guy was a skeptic, remember? And now all of a sudden he's, he believes? How does that happen? Well, Nathanael had some help. He had a pointer in his life, right, Philip? And he knew, <laughs> the pointer knew that he wasn't the Savior, right? What was his job? His job was to know who the Savior was and live into that life in front of his brother, right? His faith. And then Jesus does the rest. In fact, there's this crazy part of the story where Jesus makes this promise, Talking to Nathaniel in verse 50, continuing the story with me. Jesus said, you believe because I told you. I, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. <laughs> What's Jesus talking about here? What are the greater things? I mean, Jesus is basically saying to Nathaniel, you know what, buddy? This is just the tip of the iceberg. You haven't seen nothing yet. Nathaniel, prepare to have your mind blown. What's going to happen in your life as you trust me? I mean, you trust me at this level right now, but as you trust me and your life, you will see unbelievable things. You know who, what Jesus is talking about here? Verse 51, it says, he, he then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Again, that seems like an odd statement. What is he referring to? Well, the first thing that comes to mind when I'm thinking about this is, well, is he talking about when the angels came to, to help Jesus when he was in the desert for 40 days? You know what I'm talking about, the beginning of his ministry. But the disciples weren't there for that. Nathaniel didn't see that. What's Jesus talking about? Well, again, Jesus is alluding to an Old Testament passage to give us a better picture of who he is. For this one, we actually have to look at Genesis chapter 28, and it's the story of Jacob's ladder. Jacob, in this story, he's just stolen his brother's inheritance, right? So his brother is ticked off at him. Esau is ticked off, wants to kill him. So Jacob goes running off into the wilderness onto the way to another place. And again, Jacob's probably alone. He's probably... Um, scared for his life, and he experiences this dream. In verse 12, it says, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. It's kind of a cool view, right? It's kind of an escalator kind of look into heaven with the angels going up and down on the staircase. It's pretty cool. There above it, though, stood the Lord, 
And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. I'm going to fulfill my promises. And then skipped ahead to verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, where is he? He's probably somewhere in the middle of the wilderness, right? But he's experiencing the presence of God right there. The story is pointing to a time when Jacob knew that his brother was after him. He just knew that he was, he wasn't even sure if he's going to survive, right? And, and God comes to him and God allows him to see this glimpse of his activity in the world God reminds Jacob that he's with him, that he's made promises, he's going to follow through with his promises. And, and when Jacob wakes up, how's he feeling? He knows that God's in that place. He's experiencing the presence of God right there where he is, right? And this is what Jesus is talking about. Nathaniel, your faith might be based on small things now. But just wait. Stay with me. <laughs> Trust me, and you will see your faith grow. Why? Because you will see the very activity of God revealed to you happening right around you in this world. Right? You see that Jesus himself is the activity of God. Jesus himself is the gate of heaven reaching down to earth. It's the very presence of God, right? Again, we see the message in John that Jesus is the greater thing, the greater thing that trumps all other things. Jesus is reminding us that he is the greatest gift, the gift that just keeps giving. Friends, when we trust in the Lord, I mean, we may start at some small place. We don't even know for sure. We don't know a lot about him. Think about Nathaniel. What did he know about Jesus, really? But as we trust in him, we will see the very activity of God in our world around us. It's amazing. Have you experienced that in your own life? Did anyone say an amen to that? <laughs> Nathaniel and many others behind him would one day discover these greater things. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. This is Jesus. He's the greatest gift. As Rodney Whitaker writes, heaven has been opened but there's no need for us to ascend because the Son of Man has come down to us. And through Jesus, I mean, think about it, so many great things that we experience, those who believe, right? Think of the most picturesque Christmas scene, best that you can come up with. You will see greater things than these. Think of the most peaceful, snow-covered Christmas village. And Jesus says, you will see greater things than these. Think of the look on children's faces as they're coming down from, the, from the, down, down the stairs and they see the decorated tree and all the presents and they're super excited. You will see greater things than these. Think of the festival of lights that we go to. Think of the, the Christmas cookies that we bake and the movies we love to watch. And to all that, Jesus says, you will see greater things than even these, Right? There's nothing that compares to the greatness of knowing Jesus. Nothing. 
Truly the Christmas song, O little town of Bethlehem, has it right. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. <laughs> this holiday season, let's not lose sight of the fact that the greatest gift available to us is Jesus. And yet, do we have a greater response to the greatest gift than to see what Philip does when he invites Nathaniel to see what he has found? No. I mean, we can't, we can't convince others about the truth of Jesus, but Philip still does this, this very significant thing. He shows his faith in Christ to Nathaniel, and he invites him to come and see. Come and see that the Lord is good. Come and see that you can find hope. Come and see the love of God for all people. And I believe because Philip was willing to do this, it actually was Philip who was blessed. How was Philip blessed? <laughs> he got to see the most incredible, most beautiful, greater thing than this. Jesus transforming the life of his brother. Think about that. Is there a greater thing than seeing Jesus doing his thing? Honestly, I mean, how important is it that we share Jesus with others? Let's not keep the greatest gift to ourselves. Amen? We're going to close our service this morning with communion. And there's an aspect of communion that I think we get a little bit confused about things something that we might miss there's a story in first corinthians chapter 11 that we sometimes get um not quite sure what's going on the church in corinth was doing something very wrong when they were participating in communion what was happening in that town well they were coming to the table the communion table they're receiving the elements right what were they doing wrong? They, well, maybe it was that they, sometime during the week, they did something wrong. So they hadn't been perfect. So they were coming to the table. Well, that's, that actually wasn't it, right? I mean, we often think about that when we're talking about communion. Well, do I, am I really worthy? Communion isn't about being worthy, right? It's actually the opposite. We come to the table in remembrance that we need a Savior, do we need Jesus? That's what communion is about, right? So what was the church at, church at Corinth doing? Well, the rich people were getting to the communion feast early while the others were still at work. And instead of waiting for all the others, they just jumped right in and started eating and drinking. So by the time the others showed up, there was no food left. What had they done? They had hoarded the blessing of God. They were keeping others away from the mercy and grace and love of God by taking away from them the elements of communion. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. So then, when you come together in this way, it's not the Lord's Supper you, you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. That's all you're doing. You're just eating food. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do, do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. 
Skip ahead to verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So what, looking at the context of the story, <laughs> what is it that these people, I mean, what is the unworthy manner that Paul's talking about that they were doing when they were receiving communion? You see it? They were actually keeping the grace of God to themselves. Not being willing to look to the interests of others. Not willing to share the greatest gift, the greater things, because they would just hoard it. Just ate it and drank it before anyone else got there. So even as we approach the table this Christmas, let's keep in mind in our lives who isn't here to take the cup and the bread. Who isn't here that we need to share? I mean, who else would benefit from knowing Christ in our lives? Can we keep those things in mind? And this is one reason why we celebrate an open table, an open communion table as a church family. We want to take communion together. We want all to receive the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for them. We want all to receive the blood of the Lord spilled for them, right? Can we share the love of Christ with others this Christmas season, offering them the greatest gift of all. So as we normally do, um, we'll sing a song in preparation of our hearts um, to take communion together, and then we'll just ask that you come and come forward um, as, and receive the elements as you're ready. The bread is gluten-free, so you don't have to worry about that. The cups are double-stacked, so make sure you take both. Um, and Wayne, would you stand with me? Um, he's available. So after the communion elements have been taken, he'll turn around and look to see if anyone else who maybe feels like they can't come forward, physically can't come forward, just raise your hand so that he can come and serve you um, the elements. Um, so would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads in prayer as we prepare our hearts? Communion is an opportunity to receive the greatest gift of Christmas. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you can do it this morning. I mean, do you have to know everything about Jesus? Again, what did Nathaniel really know about Jesus? No, just declaring your faith in Jesus to save you is just the first step in a journey to seeing the greater things in life. So, Lord Jesus... Would you help us all put our faith in you this morning? You are the greatest gift. We repent of our sins. We, we desire to go not our way, but your way. We desire you to be a part of our lives. We thank you that you were willing to die on a cross so that we might have hope and peace love and joy. Help us to remember and celebrate that this morning. Help us to remember and celebrate the greatest gift. And help us, Lord, to share that hope with others. Lord, be with us in this time. Use these elements to bring your presence into our lives. 
Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?
1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 11 again. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat and be thankful. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. Would you drink and be thankful? Lord God, we are thankful people. Do your work in us. Help us to experience your presence in our lives. The activity, allow us to see you at work. And allow us to be a witness to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. People of God, you are blessed. You're a blessed people. You have received the greatest gift. And you will continue to see greater things, the activity of God on earth as it is in heaven. So may God help us in this week, keep our focus on the grace of God, Jesus. And may God help us to share that grace with others. Amen? You are sent.